Isaiah chapter 12. And uh, if you had read it, you might have, and if you listen to when uh, Elizabeth uh, read it today, you must have noted that a note of exuberant joy in that passage. Chapter 12. You know, that joy, the exuberance of that joy in that passage. For the last few weeks, I have been preaching about the joy of Christian life. Christian life is supposed to be joyful. A few weeks back, I remember uh, preaching about how Christian life is joyful because it is joyful service, it is joyful fellowship, it is joyful worship, it is joyful giving. All that aspects of Christian life is joyful. It is never uh, grieving, sorrowful, sad, forced, something that is extracted from us. No, it's a natural, spontaneous overflow of joy. Last week we saw how to live a joyful Christian life. You know, how do we clean up our hearts and minds and how we hand power to God to guard our hearts and minds. Now I'm continuing with that uh, theme today but focusing on this the ultimate reason for the joy of Christian life. You may be thinking that I should have put it all together in a logical way. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. These are bits and pieces which we can put in. Whenever we apply in our life, it will be meaningful. Okay. So here is the basic, the fundamental reason why a Christian is joyful. A joyful Christian life. It begins with that expression, that day. Isn't it? Ch chapter 12, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will see in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. So here is a day, Isaiah, the prophet who lived in 880, sorry, 8th century, 740, he started his ministry. He says that day, he's talking about a that day, a future, which he himself cannot see clearly. Many other things that Isaiah said, God knew very clearly, but it seems that Isaiah never knew when will this happen? When we prophesied in some time in 735 or 701 BC, he didn't know that there going to be a king who will come from Persia, a Persian king called Cyrus. He didn't know. He had no clue about a Medo-Persian emperor, the possibility of a Medo-Persian emperor in 800 BC. Sorry, 8th century. But still he mentioned his name in Isaiah chapter 45. He says, Cyrus is my anointed. He even named. But did he ever know how to spell it even? No. But God had inspired him. So here is a prophecy like that. He's talking about a, that day. And you know that he repeats it in 12.4. In the next uh, fourth verse, he repeats it. So it's a very important day that he's talking about. A day that Isaiah knew that he will not be there, but he knew there will be a day of exuberant joy. That is the secret. He knew there's going to be a day in future. He didn't know when and how, but he knew that it will be joy when you will say to yourself and to others, verse 4, it repeats. It is so dear to Isaiah that in the book of Isaiah, the 
expression this that day comes 47 times in 66 chapters it is such an important expression a phrase that he keep on talking about that day that day that day twice in these six verses and 45 other places in 66 verses he keep on saying that day what is that day what is that day that he is talking about he only knew that day he didn't know he had no name he had no year to mention he had no period to mention so he simply says that day and what is that day the immediate antecedent immediate previous verse or reference of this is in chapter 11 verse 10 to 11 let me read that also i say chapter 11 verses 10 to 11 and he talks about that day that is immediate previous reference in that day i say 10 he say 11 10 in that day the root of jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious and verse 11 again in that day the lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that the remains of the people from syria from egypt from bathros kush and from elam from shinar from hama and from the coastlands of the sea means islands of the sea that's what he was talking about he was talking about that day that day when a new king will rule but not an israelite we did not be a king in the line of david you know the ancestry jesse that is um david's father and david and all his sons they were the kings there was a dynasty but now i say says there is going to be a day when there's going to be a, day, a king he will be will not he, see he may be born in the house of david that is not important for him but he is a king who is not just a, another king in israel not another king he is going to start another line of rulers but the funny thing is that isaiah says later on he is not going to have sons and descendants and so on because he is going to be an eternal king an eternal king doesn't need a descendant somebody to follow him is just one because he is eternal and this is a day when he say he will take over all the human kingdoms and he is going to gather his authority is not limited to the little kingdom called judah his kingdom will be a kingdom he saw seeing in prophetic through prophetic eyes a kingdom where all the known world you know he says from egypt i will call my people i will call my people far end of northern side northwestern northeastern side of the known world in those days and he says from assyria and i will call my people from the islands the coastlands called cyprus and the crete and all the mediterranean islands he is thinking about and he says from kush which is the northern africa okay south of saudi arabia and then he talks about north africa the whole known world this ruler will have authority and he will be have worldwide authority as well what is that day i say that means but we have an answer why 
because we live in that day. This day is that day that Isaiah called that day. Let me see whether I got it correctly. The day we live is that day that Isaiah called that day. Even he said that day, in the light of the Bible, the New Testament, we know that Isaiah, though he himself did not know clearly, it was the day, this day, the leaf, the era we live, the Anna Domino, Domino, Domino is the year that we live, right? Domaini, Anno Domaini. Is the year she knows Elizabeth knows Latin. Uh, is the year in of of Isaiah's that day? You know. Let me just try to simplify what I want. I'm going to say. One day, Jesus during his earthly ministry had a debate as he was teaching in the temple. He asked a question to his audience. Mark's Gospel, chapter twelve. If you can go on to that passage, it's wonderful. Mark's chapter 12, verse 35 to 36. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say, Scribes are people who copied the scripture? Because in those days when there was no printing press, and the only way of making a new copy of the Bible or any book was by simply copying, the copyist, the people who copied, were very well versed. In the scripture, you know that's normal, normal, isn't it? When you keep writing the same thing again and again and again and again, and again maybe ten times, you, you you make it, learn it by heart. So the scribes were scholars in that way. So he asked a question: How can these scholars say that Christ is the Son of David? That is the, that is what they understood. That is how they understood. They thought the Messiah to come. The savior to come will be another king in the line of David. That is what they thought. He said, No. Jesus said, No. He's not. There's a paradox here. Jesus was born in the house of David in Bethlehem. But still, he says, The Messiah, being a Messiah, is not by virtue of the birth of the Messiah in the David family. It cannot be. He said that is not possible. So that was. See, it is not another king, human king. It's not another earthly king. So he asked this question: How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Then he said, the answer is no. It's not possible. They are wrong. And then he argues, verse thirty-six. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, "The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand." Until I put your name, enemies under your feet. Then the argument is, he quotes a Bible a passage, and he, in verse thirty-seven says, David himself called the Messiah Lord. So how is he his son? If David called the Messiah to come Lord, then how can the true Messiah be the son of David? Father doesn't call son. Lord, he worships him, and the great throng heard him gladly. So, what he was trying to say is that the Messiah to come is not the Messiah that the Jewish scribes expected. This is where things went wrong. 
is true the bible very clearly says jesus was born in the family of david in the city of david but still his messiahship he becomes christ the anointed of god not by virtue of being another king after david but the jews thought because he is born in bethlehem many of the men would have known that also because he is a, a son of david by birth he is going to be the messiah that is their expectation they thought another king will come and take over if you read the, the all the literature they wrote during this period it's very clear they thought that some savior will come and some people just before jesus time they thought judas from galilee a man called judas a man not the biblical judas but he is the messiah so many people joined him finally 2000 people were crucified by romans for a revolt then later they thought bar kosiba bar kokba is the messiah that also failed but there was a true messiah in their midst which whom they did not recognize and that is the messiah that isaiah was prophesying about he said there is going to be a ruler but he is not going to be a son of david he will restart the line from the father of david who is jesse you understand the impact of that okay this is what he was prophesying that means that day now we can say from this side of the cross this side of nativity this side of god christ ascension we can say that day is this day are you with me okay so that day is this day when believers in christ who have found the true messiah we have found the true messiah but those days they could not find him as true messiah they thought there is yet another messiah to come the scribes had told them the messiah will be a son of david but jesus told them see david called the messiah the true messiah the lord that messiah has to come and that messiah is me that was his claim you are missing the point you are going after the scribes the scholars you are consulting the books and then you say messiah should be a son of david but prophet isaiah had already prophesied in 8th century from the root of jesse i will raise for the another messiah and that messiah is eternal the rest of the verses we can read later and now that is the reason for christian joy fundamental reason for christian joy because isaiah prophesied about that day and he said it is number one it will be characterized by singing and thanksgiving or singing thanksgiving songs again going back to verse 1 of chapter 12 in that day you will say i will give thanks to you o lord for though you are angry with me your anger has turned away that you might comfort me in that day you are going to celebrate now what did we hear last sunday you know you clean up your house of all the anxieties and but when you clean up you fill it up with songs of thanksgiving and praise to god so do not be anxious about anything philippians chapter 4 verse 4 on but in prayer and in thanksgiving so here is the day isaiah says there will be a day when people will be singing songs 
instead of being worried they will be praising god instead of being afraid of things it's a day characterized by sin and it is a day when they enjoy the abundant grace of god the grace of god in abundance chapter 12 3 verse 3 of the same you know he says there he uses metaphors you know figures of speech to 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 describe that day that he can see through a foggy glass he can only see through a foggy glass he says there is going to be a day and that's where day is going to be a joy of a day of great joy but we know now when we see isaiah we don't have to tell him in eternity we can say that day that you prophesied about is the day that i come from you joined eternity from eighth century i joined eternity from the 21st century and i have experienced what you were prophesying about that is the amazing experience of being a christian so here she says the metaphor of a well with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation what does that mean it's first of all the well represents abundance and secondly it represents a unceasing supply a supply of resources a supply of joy in abundance and a supply of joy which will never ever cease because the well is fed by underground streams there were three uh, sorry uh, three uh, basic water sources in uh, isaiah state even now in israel one are rivers and some are uh, uh, what do you call torrent rivers they have water only when they trains or there are perennial rivers also rivers then cisterns cisterns are tanks of water plastered tanks where you collect water when it rains it will dry out it will evap- some water will evaporate some water will when you use you will have a specific stock if another supply is streams underground streams and the streams feed the rivers and also they feed, uh, feed the wells as well so here is a well you know the well that jacob dug years ago in the 19th century bc was still the well from which his sons drew water when jesus visited that samaritan woman in the 20 centuries and it is still there water is still there in that well of sychar what i'm trying to say is that the well never dries that is the particular use of that it is never ceases and you will be drawing and drawing and drawing you will be drawing abundance of water and here is an anticipation when isaiah said this he was actually anticipating revelation chapter 717 what does revelation 717 says revelation 7 sorry yes 717 actually for the lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes see that joy the note of joy as the messiah who is the eternal king the promised messiah 
Christ Jesus Christ the king comes he will guide them to springs of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes that is the promise that is that day is here today and in our experience in our christian experience when we have a knowledge that jesus of nazareth was condemned by not really condemned but crucified by pilate the roman uh, governor pilate crucified by and rose on the third day ascended and sits on the right hand of the father interceding for me i live in that day and that is a day of not sorrow and sadness it is a joy of growing and growing and growing and never ending during christ's ministry the ministry of jesus christ he did that he said that from start i just now i mentioned about the well of jacob's well at sychar the samaritan village when jesus was passing by that samaritan village you know the story in john's gospel chapter 4 was 10 and he sat by the side of this well and a woman came a woman who had many husbands probably for various reasons which we do not know but really definitely a woman who was uh, scoffed at by her own village people or condemned herself shameful of herself and uh, they had a conversation you know the story and jesus asked for water and then he instead of drinking water we are not accord that he drank water from him he there was a dialogue and in that dialogue jesus said in verse 10 john's gospel chapter 4 verse 10 jesus answered if you knew the gift of god and who it is that's saying to you you just think that i am a jew by my dress and my skin color and my my look but if you knew more than that if you did not judge the book by the cover and if you really knew who i am really is to you that i am the messiah if i am asking you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water he would have given you living water means flowing water not stagnant water of a well flowing water the living water the fresh water the water that gives life so jesus was saying see the well that isaiah prophesy from which people will draw is not a physical well it is the messiah who gives life abundant life a few chapters later maybe two or three years later Jesus went to the feast and in that feast in Jerusalem on the last day of the feast there was a ceremony the ceremony was you know in the in Jerusalem it is still there where there is a tunnel that brings water to a tank inside the city from a spring outside them a wall called a gihon there's a wall called there's a spring called very cool pure water clear water springs forth it actually hushes forth the spring fresh water where is the water coming from we don't know on the top of the hill and they go to that source of water the priest will draw some water and then he will pour the water on the ground because 
that water represents for the judaism for jews the water represents life that messiah is going to give and they draw the go there and they draw that water symbolically and they pour it on the ground they don't drink it you know why because they say the day of a messiah hasn't yet come so they just throw the water away and there's a ceremony on the last day the last function of that celebration is drawing water from gihon go to procession and come back in a procession and pour the water on the ground saying we are still and pray but we are waiting for the day when we can drink from this water the day of messiah they thought that is not but while that ceremony was going on inside the temple compound jesus stood outside let me read that way on the last day of the feast the great day i'm reading john's gospel chapter 7 verse 37 to 38 stood up and cried if anyone thirsts let him come to me now and drink and whoever believes in me as scriptures have said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water out of his heart and he said then john says he was talking about the spirit that has to be given so jesus was saying that i am the source of water but when i dwell in your heart by the holy spirit romans chapter 828 you know when i dwell when christ dwells in our heart by the holy spirit you become a stream of water from your life from the believer's heart life will pour forth will gush forth that is that day that isaiah was talking about the abundance of god's grace the abundance of salvation the abundance of the spirit filled life christian life is a spirit filled but some people actually think that they wait for the moment when they have a ecstatic experience where they can speak in tongues that is another level of filled with this but driven by the spirit of Uh, god driven by the spirit we, we cannot ignore it the moment when jesus comes and dwells in our heart by the power of the holy spirit by the presence of the holy spirit that day is walking in the spirit you can have many other experiences after that but without that you cannot have any other experience, genuine experience so when we are driven by the spirit when our life is driven by the spirit when we walk in the spirit galatians chapter 5 and when we live by the spirit walk by the spirit all those expressions comes in galatians chapter 5 you know driven by the spirit walking by the spirit living in the spirit filled in the spirit step walking step by step step with stepping up with the or pacing with the spirit ah that life is that and that life so it's a day of singing that day is a day of enjoying god's presence with us that gives us happiness and joy and that's a day of experience in god's comfort and chapter 5 25 he already said that and he repeats it in chapter 40 verse 1 which opens comfort comfort my people and i say i repeats that again in chapter 66 verses 13 to 14 the day of comfort probably i should read that as one whom his mother comforts so i will comfort you god assures his people you shall be comforted in jerusalem you shall see and your heart shall rejoice 
your bones shall flourish like grass and the hand of the lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies the first verse again as one whom his mother comforts so i will comfort you you shall be comforted in jerusalem is a day of comfort romans chapter 8 says in this day that we live it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death there is no condemnation now who are in Christ some people most of you misunderstand this verse what does that mean that those who are in Christ underline the words i am saying don't misquote me as long as they live in christ are in christ they don't have to fear about eternal judgment because there is no fear in perfect love if you perfectly love god perfectly you don't have to fear anything if you are in christ and continue in christ there is no condemnation so then what about the setbacks that we have in life sickness job losses debt what about that it's not condemnation but some people think it is condemnation some people think it is punishment it is not punishment for those who are in grace that is the comfort of the gospel it is simply discipline discipline and punishment are different yeah. isn't it you agree with me it's no condemnation you will not be condemned to punishment uh, for judgment as long as i said that again as long as we are in Christ. Away from Christ, away from God's love, yes, there is every reason to be. But, when, as long as you are in Christ, what happens to us, the joy will not go. If you think that, oh God, punish me, then your joy is completely, what you can say, is gone, drained off, completely drained off. But when we can take setbacks as say discipline of the father then there is joy maintained joy is maintained there is no remorse there there is you say that god is taking me through this valley of shadow of death or through this darkness there will be setbacks definitely the gospel doesn't say there will be no setback there will be setbacks in life there will be negative things in our life there will be sorrow in our life but we have a new way of looking at it we are not looking at as god's punishment but we are looking at it god disciplining us so that we come back to the real truck that is the joy the comfort of god the comfort of the gospel of god now this joy comes from god god's indwelling spirit that's what i say this joy comes from as this wells up it springs forth gushes out because there is the reason for joy is the indwelling spirit of god in our lives read romans chapter 8 again and again and again in different versions you will understand what i'm talking about the indwelling of the force and it wells up it springs forth it gushes out like a stream which is always fresh and which waters our life and others life the next characteristic of this exuberant joy of isaiah's that day 
and our this day is we have joy which is infectious we say joy of that's a day of infectious joy look at verse 1 what did he say in verse 1 he said i will give thanks to god or i will give thanks to you o lord but what is he saying in verse 3 onwards he changes the the whole tone is different he said in verse 1 i will give thanks to god and in verse 3 following he changes your the mood changes i think it's four onwards give thanks to god it's an exhortation he has a resolve in verse 1 his decision his resolve i will give thanks to god and then after that he turns to people around him and he exhorts them and he encourages them give thanks to the lord call upon his name so he is trying to transfer his joy to the people around him that is why i said the joy of the lord the joy of christian life is not a private joy nobody has any monopoly on it but it has to be shared as we share it multiplies as we share the joy of the lord the joy of salvation you know it is multiplied then look at the, all the verbs that he uses in verses 3 to 6 give thanks call upon his name make him known proclaim shout sing praises did you see all this let me read that then only it will be clear let me read that one more give thanks to the lord and this time pay attention to all the imperatives commands there make known proclaim that his name is exalted sing praises to the lord for he has done gloriously shout and sing for joy or inhabitant of zion to so for great is in your midst the holy one of israel is an infectious joy a joy that you find too difficult to contain within yourself it has to be shared you can't hold it no i love holding it in yourself <laughs> i really love the southern gospels it's a genre of christian music um sort of country it's it's a genre that is a subcategory of and i like that it is easy to sing as well but you know the one characteristic of those that genre of gospel music is southern gospels is that exuberant joy i can i cannot sing any song fully a complete song but i remember here and there you know there is a song sung by a old man i forgot his name and he says i found this christ in mexico it's a very autobiographical song but that song is sung with some tremendous joy about a man who went to mexico probably for betting or gambling or something like that but he found christ and he sings about his joy but look for that in youtube i found uh, i found him in mexico or something like that it's an amazing song but the joy behind that song and similar songs is amazing bill gates recently made an album very recently about the joy in the covid period but it's not new songs they have put all the old songs together with some quotations from writers and thinkers and uh, christian believers and all that as an amazing show about I, i forgot the title of the show but 
what I'm trying to say is that in all the setbacks that we have, we have singing to each other. We sing to each other. You know, today when Heini was leading uh, the worship, she said, you sing a you read a psalm or you start a hymn that you want to hymn, sing. Why don't you start a sing and we all join? When I didn't instruct her to do to say that. She was her own, right? When God bless her. So what I'm saying is the joy, Christian joy is infectious joy. It is, it, it spreads to others. Now, what is the reason for joy? I said, the indwelling Holy Spirit. But there is one more thing, which is related. Isaiah prophecies in verse 6. He says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of God. Praise God. The reason for that is, if you read the book of Ezekiel, the first three chapters, Ezekiel sees in vision the glory of the Lord departing from Jerusalem. That was sometime in the 7th century. The 10 years after the fall of Jerusalem, 597, 587. So he saw the glory departing and coming to Babylon. But Isaiah, living in the 8th century, he sees prophetically the glory may depart, but the glory will come back. You see, so he prophesies in chapter 40, he says, prepare a way for the Lord in the wilderness. He's coming back from Babylon where his people were. He's bringing all the prisoners back to Jerusalem. And then he, in chapter 12, verse 6, he says, great, sing, 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 shout for joy. Oh, inhabitants I want. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What is the secret of this joy? The secret of this joy is the presence of God in our midst. Now, we can have two, two or more than two ways of, one, more than one way of being church. Now, as I say, we can play church. We can be the church. And we can play the church. And we can make the church. And these are all different. What is the difference between playing the church? Sunday after Sunday, you come together. Somebody leaves, or somebody plays, somebody leaves, and then we have a coffee. And uh, we just play church. Like children play school. Children play, if you have taken a child to a hospital for one or two days of admission, let, not, let that not happen to any of you. And the child will come back and will play hospital. Nurse and doctor. Church is not playing church. It is not making it. It is being. What is the difference? In being the church, we are not the subjects. It is God. We are gathered. It's passive. When they were gathered in one place, that is when there was an outpour of the Holy Spirit. We don't play church. We don't make church. We don't pretend to be church. To be true church of Jesus Christ, we have to be be church, gathered by him. And his presence must be there when two or three are gathered. We are gathering in his name because what does that mean? We gather because he had called all of us to be his children, his friends, his, uh, the saved one, the redeemed. So because of his name, there is a commonality that we have. We are gathered. So John's Gospel, chapter 1, 14 says, in 
1.14 says, And the Word became flesh when Jesus came into this world. The Word, which was the person behind the creation of this whole universe, it took flesh in, the, in, in Bethlehem, in the manger, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The next verse says, from his abundance of his grace, we have received grace upon grace. We are not receiving wrath upon wrath. We are receiving grace upon grace. See, we have many of us just now when um, Ringo prayed, she thanked God. Many of us have seen the valley, the abyss, but from where? God raised us. We may see it again. But we, we go down with the confidence that we are going down not to perish, not to be there forever, but to bounce back. In some people's life, that doesn't happen at all because they are not in Christ. They are in themselves. When you are in yourself, when you gather in your own name, not in Christ's name, when Christ is not there in our midst, not only the congregation, but in our life also, there is no reason for joy. It's like a rat trapped in a rat trap, trying to break the, the, the wires, steel wires by its teeth. In the process, it never, it only damages its teeth, but it never get out. But somebody from outside has to come, cut the knife, cut the wire, and let the cat, so the rat go out from the rat trap. But as long as we believe in our strength, the whole night, and we will fail scurrying up and down the, the trap. In the morning, the man will come, who said the trap will come. And he know what to do with the rat. That's a problem. Many people, have, they, they glory in their effort. They ignore the presence of God in their life. And there is absolutely no joy because their joy is not from God, who the Emmanuel, who came in flesh and dwelt among us. And when he left, he said, I'll be with you till the end of the world. Now he sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be with us. So we have to be reassured by the truth of divine presence in everything. One more reason is the salvation. Salvation of God. Chapter 12 verse 2 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation or simply means the source of my means of my salvation. I've already preached about that yet a moment ago. You know, here we see that God becomes the salvation, not our effort, not our strength, not our knowledge, not our wisdom. When absolutely we abandon ourselves to God, then joy comes because He does the salvation. He does what He should do, the way He should do, when He should do. The reason why, when and where, it is absolutely up to God. We have to do only one thing, obey. That's it. Now, this is the secret of Christian joy. We live 
the period after the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. But it also means something new begins. That is, life in, the, life in Christ begins. Life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit begins. And that is the day that he anticipated. And praise be to God. We are born after cross. That we have opportunity. But not only that. The Spirit of God touched us. So that though we are born after the cross. AD 28. God gave us the grace. To respond to his call. Look at your own neighbors. Your own brothers, siblings and parents. And many of them. Who haven't found this joy in the Lord. Though they are born after the cross, AD 28, when that historic moment happened, when Pilate handed over him, the innocent man, to be crucified. When he died, and his body was buried on the third day by the power of God, he rose back again and he ascended. And we live and enjoy that Christ event, what Christ did for us on the cross. And praise be to God. Let me say this with one sentence I want to close. There's no reason to be sort of no reason, but there is every reason to be joyful. There is no reason to be sad in the Lord, but there is every reason for us to be really, really joyful. The peace, not like the peace that the world gives, but the joy. The children have a song, I cannot sing now. I don't know. To sing, but the joy that wells up, the joy that gushes forth, a joy which is infectious, a joy in the Lord, a joy which will never go dry. Praise be to God. Because mighty is the one who is in our midst. Praise be to God. Amen.